This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Should you become a military pilot? With the airlines hiring at a rapid rate and a shortage of qualified pilots, many don't even consider flying for the military. Well, joining us today is Sarah Fritz, who switched from being an officer to a warrant officer to fulfill her career and her flying goal. If you're someone you know or somebody you know is considering a career as a military pilot, Sarah has some advice for you. But before we start, I have a few announcements. Uh, You know, if you're considering a career in aviation, we have a few videos that you should watch. And uh, we have some free courses actually at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. And you can actually click on that link and you'll find in within those course where scroll down, I think it's about the fourth one. Those are the free ones. Those are the ones that say, hey, should I consider a career in aviation? Should I consider a career as a pilot? And uh, there's a couple other things there. Obviously, there's many other courses in there, like our career coaching, and also the paid for courses, which include things like holding patterns and that type of thing. We're adding more and more courses as we go. As you know, I've uh, mentioned about the uh, 10 questions that most people get wrong on the interviews, technical interview, and I'm going to include that course. We got a little bit sidetracked, as you know, because my personal life and uh, we're all back on track with with everything there. Uh, So check that out, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. Well, joining me today is Sarah Fritz. Sarah's uh, been a 121 uh, pilot, in other words, an airline pilot, also flown in the military, and is uh, currently uh, working uh, with the federal government as a pilot and uh, has a really interesting background and truly is passionate about aviation. And that's one of the things we love about having Sarah on the show. Sarah, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, excited. Uh, you're on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast, and uh, we're, we're pretty far away. It's early in the morning, uh, but thanks for getting up this early. Uh, I guess you have to do that quite a bit when you talk to your friends on the East Coast. Yeah, well, I'm up early anyway, right? Aviation. Aviation, so. yeah, you got it. Um, well, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, considerations as far as becoming a military pilot and, and different things along those lines. Uh, but Sarah is somebody who's who's done a lot and has a really interesting career and career background. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about your journey and, and just uh, how you developed this passion and how you were able to actually define your life and actually go into the direction that you want to go in. And you're living just a, a dream life, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Well, it, you know, it all started in high school. I really became obsessed with flying. So I joined the Civil Air Patrol. I became really interested in the military side. I didn't necessarily want to go into the Air Force because helicopters, I saw helicopters and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to fly helicopters. So I figured out, how I could get there. And I realized that, um, West Point was the best way to do it. So I did everything that I could to try and get into West Point and it worked. It took me an extra year. I didn't get in right away. I had to go to university of Washington for a year, but I finally got accepted, got into West Point, went through. Um, and you know, the next step, it's never a guarantee when you go into a service that you're going to get aviation. So I tried everything I could. I tried to get as high up in the class ranking as I could. And I remember I went in for my flight physical and, uh, it was my eyesight that was holding me back. I was like, if I can pass this flight physical and my, if my eyes are good enough, then I'll make it. And I remember I had my exam and my eyes were good enough. And I remember you know, walking back to my room and just thinking, that's it. I've got it. This, there's nothing stopping me now. And I did, I got the aviation branch. I was super excited. So I went to flight school right after I commissioned and, um, spent about a year and a half there. Sometimes it depends the army. It takes a bit of time that we call them bubbles. Like they'll have too many people lined up for a certain part of the course. So it took me about a year and a half. Um, I ended up getting uh, the OH-58 Delta, which is a scout pilot, which the Army doesn't have anymore, unfortunately. The Army tends to get rid of um, (laughs) aircraft that do really well. So the ground commanders loved them, but they got (laughs) rid of them. Now it's just the Apache, the Chinook, and the Blackhawk. 
Um, and I rolled into, I got Fort Stewart. So this was in, uh, 2002 and 2003, I found myself in Kuwait. And in March we invaded Iraq. I was a platoon leader responsible for four helicopters. And, uh, yeah, so I was a combat, uh, helicopter pilot during the invasion and uh, we came back in August, and um, a couple of years later, I was back to Iraq, but this time with a striker brigade. I was an aviation liaison officer, and um, I got out after that, and I moved directly into the National Guard, which is like the best-kept secret ever, because I wanted to move back to Oregon, but I didn't want to stop flying, so the National Guard is just an excellent way to keep flying after you leave active duty. And um, I did some a counter-drug mission, which I flew single-pilot helicopters across the state of Oregon looking for marijuana, which they don't do anymore. Um, and, and then they sent me to the fixed-wing school, and then I went to Afghanistan for almost a year deployment, and I flew C-12s, which is the King Air 200. And um, then I, by the time I came back, I had enough hours to work for the airline, so I uh, worked for Horizon Airlines for a year, which is, it's a great company. Alaska Air Group's a great company. And, uh, but then I got a job flying King Airs for the government and that's what I do right now. And I still fly for the National Guard. So you have so, both things going on. You have the National Guard and the, and the government job. Is that, is that tough to do both of those things? Um, well, it is. It's easier because the, the airplane I fly now for the National Guard, I also fly full time. But a couple months ago, I switched. I was flying the LUH, the Lakota helicopter, which only the National Guard has those, except for that's not entirely true. The National Training Center down in California has LUH 72s, but the National Guard pr primarily has those. It's a search and rescue platform, excellent platform for that. I was flying that for a while, but you know, even as a National Guard soldier, you're required to maintain the minimum, same minimums as an active duty uh, person. So it was like 48 hours every six months. It was. Plus, you have nine hours of, of night vision goggle training. So it was it was a lot. I had a lot on my plate. So I asked to switch back over to the C-12. So um, it's not as difficult now because it's much easier to – I'm not studying for two different aircraft right. now. It's one. So, yeah. No, it's, hard. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to be in the National Guard as an aviator and have a full-time job. I mean, you're only – you only get three weekends a month and – you got to come in about an average once a week to maintain your minimums. But, but man, the National Guard, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it's great. It's done great things for me. So, Well, that's awesome. You know, it's interesting, uh, and you're a different perspective from this that I'm used to, because everybody I talk to that's in the National Guard, they're working for the airlines. And uh, to get your time off, by the way, uh, to go do your service and, and your drills is easy with the airlines, because that's what they do, right? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> now, that, I guess, is a little different with your government job, but I'm assuming they also have the ability to, to place you into that system very easily? I do. I get military leave. Gotcha. Uh, with about two weeks of military leave. So it, it works out. Um, they're very accommodating. Um, gotcha. mo most employers are, and not just because they're required by law, but because, you know, they, they know it's important. And usually if you're working for an aviation outfit, there's a lot of people who either have been veterans or are currently working for the National Guard. So I've, I've never had an issue with it. But the airlines definitely, if you want the best life ever – I would do the airlines and the reserves like air force reserves or army national guard or something. Cause you, you get to do, you know, military flying, you get to do things that you never get to do in the civilian world. So it's like the best of both worlds to do the airlines and do uh, military flying at the same time. And the airlines let you have the time off. It's, it's great. So if, if you have like a drill one weekend and you have a four day trip schedule, they'll just drop the whole trip. So it's great. Yeah, and they and like you said, by law they have to, and and it's really interesting because even if you go away for a long time, uh, you know, and I did a lot of military leaves with with Alpa, the Airline Pilots Association, they have to bring you back even if you're gone for six, seven years during a war. Uh, I know there's they say there's that five year limit, but that doesn't count if it's, there's wartime. So uh, it really is interesting though because there, I get this question often, Sarah, is that you know, but I want to do the guard. Is that going to be a problem? It is not a, as a matter Matter of no. fact, it's easy. It is yeah. so e easier than you can imagine. So let's put that to bed right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, you mentioned the Army and uh, flying jobs, and I think there's a lot of people listening right now that 
pretty much think, you know, well, military aviation is military aviation, but there are differences, in, isn't there, between the different branches? There are. And if you're thinking about going in the military, this is definitely something you want to think about because the Army does it a little bit differently. So the Air Force, Navy, and Coast Guard, all of those services have um, – I don't want to necessarily use this term because warrant officers are officers, but – those services use um, officers to fly, so lieutenants, captains, majors, lieutenant colonels. The Army, you can, as a, as a captain and a major, fly, but that's not your primary responsibility. You, in the Army, you, you get the aviation branch if you're an officer, but your primary responsibility is to lead you're responsible for making sure the vehicles are good. Your enlisted soldiers are taken care of. I mean, there's just so flying is not your primary responsibility. It's, it's basically an additional duty, but so the primary aviators in the army are what we call warrant officers. And I do believe all the services have warrant officers. Mm -hmm. It's important to understand what they are. They're, they're technical experts. So they, uh, so they're like the army has warrant officers, not just aviators. They have people in supply. They have like HR people, aviation, all these people. But they're like they they're like super soldiers, basically. They're not they're they are commissioned officers, which I don't want to say. They're that's why I didn't want to say officers versus. We tend to use the word O grade because when you look at the pay scale, it's like O one, O two, O three, and then warrant officers, it's W one, W two. But just think of warrant officers as technical experts. And so it, in the Army, the eight primary flyers are the warrant officers, and they are the technical experts. They're the go-to. And then the officers, the O-grades, tend to – they still have to fly, but they just don't fly as much. And the assignments they'll get later on in their career are not flying-oriented. So by the time you're a major, you're pretty much done flying. The next time you fly – will be if you get a battalion command, which is, is kind of hard to get. It's um, quite a privilege to get a battalion command. So, And even then, you're going to be super busy and not really flying. So if you want to fly in the Army, you need to become a warrant officer. And there's a couple ways you can do that we can get into later. But um, just understand uh, the difference. So if you go to West Point, you're, you're going to be a, a, an O-grade, a lieutenant, captain, major. And you can get the aviation branch, but you're not going to fly that much which is why I ended up switching back to warrant officer. So I was a major, and then a couple years ago, I transitioned back to being a warrant officer because I only wanted to fly. I was done doing the management stuff. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, like in the Air Force and the Navy, uh, primarily uh, you hear people going in as officers so they can fly uh, aircraft like fighters and transport aircraft and one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is as you move up in the ranks, you wind up not doing as much flying. You do desk flying. In other words, it's more management. So a lot of the folks that I actually coach are those people that all of a sudden they moved up in the ranks and now they're not flying hardly at all. Now they want to go and actually fly an airplane and they're rotating out of the military because of that. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's what's interesting. In the warrant officer program, though, uh, you, you can, you can still move up you, but you still can fly, right? Absolutely. The only time that you're going to stop flying is when you're a W five and that's tends to be towards the very end of your career. You probably have about 17, 18 years of service in. And, um, by that time you might actually not really care to be flying that much. So it, um, yeah, a warrant officers, that's all they do. They fly. They're the experts and they'll, they will stay in an operational position their entire career. And so you were just talking back about, about the warrant officer and how to get into this. And uh, qualifications, though, to become a warrant officer, I think, are uh, different than an officer or an O-grade, as you said. Uh, so if I was coming out of high school and I was to give advice to somebody who is coming out of high school, I should say, what would I tell them about if they want to go into the warrant officer program? So... There's a couple. There's a couple ways to become a warrant officer. There's there's this thing called high school to flight school, where you can go like just like it says. You can go directly from high school, go to basic training, go to warrant officer candidate school, and go straight into flight school, and then get an operational assignment. So you're pretty much in your operational unit by the time you're 19, 20 years old. 
these kids tend to be like really high quality. Like they've played sports. They, you know, they could have probably gone to college and got a scholarship. Like that's their, their kind of level of, that's the kind of level of candidate they're looking for. Every time I've seen a high school to flight school kid, they've, they've just been on it. I've always been super impressed. Um, the other way is to typically warrant officers are pulled already from the enlisted members. So another way to do it would be to enlist in the army. Um, I highly recommend you, you enlist as a crew chief. If you want to be a warrant officer and fly specifically, I would choose a 15 series MOS 15 in the army is aviation specific. Don't let them give you the 11 series, which is infantry or 13, which is artillery. You, <laughs> you need a 15 series MOS and preferably, I believe it's tango or uniform, 15 tango or uniform. You want to be a crew chief. Gotcha. And, and there's a couple reasons for that. You, you'll get used to the aircraft. You'll be around warrant officers because when you go to warrant officer, put your packet in to be a warrant officer. When you're an enlisted, you need a warrant officer recommendation. So it's extremely helpful to already be in an aviation unit and really get to know those guys. And they'll give you a really good recommendation and kind of walk you through it. And you'll have a much better chance um, of getting in. Plus, as a crew chief, you can look at some warrant officers and be like, oh, my God, if if he can do it, I can do it. So it's a huge confidence booster to to kind of be in an operational unit. Um, it's, you know, it's no sure thing. You really have to, you really have to work hard to become a warrant officer once you're enlisted. I mean, preferably you're going to be an NCO. Um, yeah. And you're going to need to be hopefully an E5, a sergeant by the time you get picked up. They're really looking for candidates that have stepped up and gone on deployments and have, um, really sought out leadership positions. So, um, that's the other option. And just to give you guys background, MOS is a military operational specialty. I'm not sure if the other services call them that, but I know that they still would have them like a fighter pilot's going to have a certain number designation like the army. So, um, we're all putting yeah, into those little buckets there, yeah, that type of thing. You know, what's yeah. interesting that, that, that air force or excuse me, high school, uh, to, uh, you know, flyers, you know, you're, you're going from high school to pilot, you know, it's kind of interesting. The, uh, high school to flight school programs, the air force is even starting to look at that. I mean, I've seen oh, that really? in the news. Yeah, that's, that's really new. So by the way, you know, if you don't quote me on this, they're actually starting to come out with this and, uh, it's fairly new program and I think it's a great idea. So finally the, the air force is coming on board with that, that whole thing, which is really cool. Uh, so you'll, you'll see some, uh, you know, senior airmen out there and flying around the, the, what are the C5s or the, the, you know, KC10s or whatever they are. So something to look into, uh, in the future, those things are, are really moving forward. So, uh, it's, uh, they're realizing just like I think the army has found over the years, uh, that it's, it's a group of people that they truly can grasp and, uh, get them into the program. And it's a great way to make money. Number one, number two, uh, there are certain people that are listening right now saying, well, that's great. You know, I want to go from high school, but I want to someday get a degree, like a four-year degree. As a warrant officer, yeah. can you do that? Well, you don't have to have a degree to be a warrant officer, but like everybody in the Army, they expect, including enlisted, they do expect you at some point to get a degree. But the advantages, and one of the reasons why I do think you should really pursue military aviation is because they will, the military will pay for that degree. So let me get this straight. You come out of high school and you go to the military, they pay to fly an airplane like right from yeah. day one. A helicopter, yeah, for the army. Yeah, I mean, air, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's, they do. What, that's pretty incredible. Well, yes, yeah, <laughs> so you're, you're making a lot of money. Like I've heard that the money you make in your 20s has a huge uh, d d predictor of how well you do over your entire career. So it's very important to, to make good money in your early 20s. And here you are, high school to flight school, making a very good wage with a hundred percent healthcare benefits and, you know, getting housing paid for and everything. And they're paying you to fly. You're getting experience and, and they're going to pay for your education. I mean, you can, once you're in the army, you can just do online courses. I mean, let's be honest, nobody, they just want to see you get the degree. It doesn't really matter where you get the degree from. So, um, yeah, the other services though, that's something to consider. You do need a four year degree and become a commission officer before you start flying. And if you want to go the commissioned route for the army, you also need a degree before you start. 
Right. And that's actually interesting because, uh, again, going back to that, if you don't have money, this is a great way to get your degree. Absolutely. Uh, Not just flying. I mean, just in general, because there's a lot of folks listening right now. They're interested in becoming mechanics, et cetera. They will train you and you will get paid to do that training. And, And that's I know if you're younger right now listening to that, it doesn't mean as much. But but to ask your parents, you know, and say, hey, you know, it, does this look like a good deal? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, because they're going to have to pay for the college and also for the training if you want to become a pilot, a mechanic, et cetera. This is you're getting training and you're getting paid and you're getting benefits all at the same time. Uh, I think there's times on this show that we don't stress the benefits of the military enough uh, because, the, like I said in the beginning, the, air, the airlines are hiring so much. There are some incredible benefits uh, to doing it that way, going towards the military, all the different branches, because there's there's many ways that you can get your education paid for. Uh, and it's, it's also a great way to build discipline. And having worked with a ton of different military pilots, uh, it really is it's great for many reasons as far as your flying is concerned, but just in general, they're, you know, very disciplined, et cetera. And, uh, and they train you that way. That's, that's for sure. We're going to get into that in a, in a little bit here. But, uh, one of the things you have to consider though, is, you know, we're talking about aviation careers and a lot of these folks that are going into the military are also thinking about the airline, Sarah. So as far as prospects leaving the military, obviously everybody talks about the airlines, but you have to kind of set yourself up for that goal. Don't you? Um, yeah, you definitely do. And I just also want to bring up the fact that if, you know, eventually if you're a veteran and you want to get hired by the federal government, they do a preferential hiring treatment. In some regards, you, you can't even get in some instances a federal job unless you're a veteran. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you talk about setting yourself up for success in your early twenties. And then when you get out of the military, your, your skills are highly sought after because employers want a sure thing. And a military veteran with a, uh, I think that's a sure thing. I'd hire a veteran in a heartbeat because you know they have certain skills and, and uh, interpersonal skills that they've developed over the years that are highly valuable. So, But um, yeah, in terms of like if you actually do want to go into the military, there's some things that you definitely need to set yourself up for success. And I want to bring up a couple of them because I know young men tend to get themselves in trouble um, and you need to moderate your behavior in some ways to make sure that you can get into flight into flight school. And this applies to any service, really. Um, obviously, no DUIs. That's super important. Um, and then speeding tickets. I know, you know, when we're young, we all get speeding tickets. But I sat on a um, selection board when I was a major and this one guy came in and he had like eight speeding tickets and (laughs) within like three months or something and we were just like questioning him like, what were you thinking? Like, why didn't you learn from your mistake? And he was like, oh, it's just part of the business. His business was to like, he was pulling a trailer. He had some reason that he needed to be go drive around super fast. I think it was turnaround time or something. And, And we were just like, that's not, I know a lot of people think that, the military is full of brash pilots, but that's not what we're looking for at all. I mean, aviation is about risk management and learning from your mistakes. And if you're getting multiple speeding tickets and you haven't moderated your behavior, you are not a good candidate for the military. You've got to learn from your mistakes. And we don't want people pushing the limit. There's a way to push your limits in in the helicopter and airplane in a very controlled way. And we don't want people just bending things and destroying aircraft. So definitely limit your speeding tickets. Um, but some other things you, you need to pass the flight physical. This applies for any of the services. Um, I know LASIK surgery is allowed now, but you should probably check if you need, if you're going to thinking about getting that done, if you need to get it done, you should check specifically with the service and go find a doctor in the service that you're, um, looking at and, and make sure that, you're picking the right type of surgery. Cause I think there are still some that aren't allowed and you don't want that to stop you. Um, I think all the services have a flight aptitude test. It's kind of like the SAT. You really need to study for it. Don't just go in there and think you're going to be okay. All of these standardized testing, you need to make sure that you practice them to do as best you can. Cause if you don't do well on it, you're, if you don't score high enough, you're not getting in no matter what you do. 
Um, and then you need to be in really good shape. And I always recommend you need to do CrossFit. If you're looking to go in the military, any of the services, just go ahead and spend the money and do CrossFit three or four times a week. It is probably the best workout for the military. It'll get you in excellent shape for basic and Warrant Officer Canada at school and everything. And then I always recommend getting as much flight training as you can possibly get before you go into the service. You really, the aircraft selection, at least in the Army, is by class rank. So the better you can do earlier on, you're going to get higher up in the class and be able to pick the aircraft that you want. And um, let's see. And then just do as well as you can in school. Like if you really want to be an army aviator, you, you can't mess around in school. You've got to be on it when you're a junior and senior the whole time in high school. Actually, you've, you've really got to be very focused. It's not an easy thing to do. There's no guarantee. You know, all those things that you mentioned are, are great for your career in general. Even, yeah. if, even if you don't go into the military, yeah. obviously, you know, the DUIs that you talked about, it, I know you hear on the show that, yeah, they're hiring people with DUIs, but it's best not to have them because if you ha- have someone with a DUI and someone who doesn't, we're taking the person without. Uh, and and that's where it, it's – and the, the health. The health is so important. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that you see with the military folks that come out – uh, is the discipline that they have in, I guess you call it PT, uh, they actually exercise on a more consistent basis from my experience because of the fact that that's part of their persona because that's part of what they do in the military. I mean, I I see 80-year-old and some 90-year-old World War II pilots that are exercise a little bit different. You know, they can't do what we could do, but but still, that's part of their regime even at that age. Uh, it's absolutely amazing how that's drilled into their system and their bodies. And one of the things that we need to realize, we need to keep our medical. It, it's not just yep. the military. You know, the military is... is you know, you have to you have to keep that medical there, but also later in life, as you get older, things don't work the way they used to. And if you're in better shape, uh, you'll have a less likelihood of losing your medical due to high blood pressure, you know, diabetes and and heart disease, which are big causes of people losing their certificates in the airlines. So that's an aside there. Oh, by the way, another thing I want to add to is, as far as the uh, veterans benefits nowadays in general, you know, we love our, our military uh, pilots and all of our veterans. We actually in all in the private organizations and, and state organizations, there's veterans benefits there, too, and veterans preference uh, to hiring. So if you if you are a veteran, there is preferential treatment even in the civilian world. So there's another benefit right there. I just want to kind of put that in there. Um, but anyway, as far as the prospects in going into the military, you know, like you said, it's really, really important to, uh, to make sure that you keep yourself clean in your background uh, and try not to get arrested, DUIs, and that, that type of thing. Um, but as far as in the military, what what's it like flying in the military? I mean, it it's got to be different than in the one twenty one or the civilian world, uh, and uh, that's both good and bad, isn't it? Yeah, and I do want to. I I hear this a lot, um, which I just want to cover real quick. A lot of people are like, I could never go into the military because I just can't handle people telling me what to do, and I'm like, well. Well, any job people are going to tell you what to do. People have this idea that the military is like you're standing at attention all the time and saluting people and yes, sir, no, sir. And and sure, there is that, but um, but not quite what people think. Like aviation is pretty laid back, and I have a feeling that all the services are pretty pretty much like that. Like a lot of times, especially warrant officers, first name basis with the enlisted. Like, I mean, you have to develop these personal relationships. There's not – you can't have that – Boot camp is one thing, and then there's the normal military, which is not what what people think it is. It's 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 just like a normal job, especially in the National Guard. Like we have normal conversations. <laughs> we we're not. It's not like it is in the, in the movies. So I mean, if people are thinking that they can't handle the discipline or the regimen, I'm. I just I. Well, you have to be at work at a certain time anyway. That's pretty much what the military requires. It's it's not really any different than a than a normal job, and I've had normal jobs, part 121, and and my current military job, and and flying for the federal government. I really haven't seen much of a difference between all of them. So don't let that put you off that you think you're in this really weird military regimen thing, because in aviation it's just not 
it's not really like that, especially if you choose something like the Coast Guard, which, by the way, is a great option. I kind of wish I had done that. But um, well, why is that? Did I? Uh, well, when you when you're choosing a service, you need to choose. You need to understand the mission set of of each of the services in the particular aircraft that you want to fly. So, if the Coast Guard's great because they they're always doing their mission. Like in the army, you have to wait for a war and who, I mean, who wants a war really? It's not fun. I can tell you. So the coast guard, they get to go out and rescue people. Like that's awesome. (laughs) And you get to fly along the coast, you get to live in the coast. And, and then the army, you got to wait, you do training, 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 and then you have to wait for a war to happen. And then you go to war and you sleep on the ground and the sand and, you know, it's just not great. But the Coast Guard, you're or even in the Navy, you're living on a boat still. So just you got to think about do what is the mission of each service and each particular aircraft? And and is that what I want to do? I mean, to a certain extent, you can't really choose your aircraft, unfortunately. Um, But. Did I really so, answer your question? Let's yeah, see. you did. As yeah. Matter, the, I, to add to that, and one of the bad things about going on the Coast Guard is the fact that you won't want to leave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, I, I hear that all the time. It's it's obviously a great community, and it's it's a great thing to be attached to. Uh, and you know, even a lot of the folks that I coach that are transitioning from the Coast Guard, what a tough decision. Uh, I haven't really met anybody in the coast guard that didn't love it i mean it's yeah so something to think about uh i know a lot of folks don't think about it but yeah it's a it's a great idea what an incredible service and i have friends that have transitioned from the airlines to the coast guard and they don't want to go back they just absolutely love it maybe later on in life they'll consider it obviously uh that's the other cool thing if you want to have a career in the military you could actually do a full career in the military retire and become an airline pilot it's, yep. that's at 20 yep. years and have a, have a pension and everything. I mean, that, that's yeah. what's really cool. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was great. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good explanation of that. But going back to the, the other question we talk about uh, is, you know, flying in the military, you know, what's different, you know, what's it like and how does it prepare you for the airlines? And also what are some of the things that make it more challenging to work for the airlines because you are a military pilot? Yeah, so the the disadvantage of the military is once they give you an aircraft, you're going to be in that aircraft the in your entire career. The exception of that is if, and which is why I promote the National Guard, is the National Guard is much more um, flexible in terms of giving you an additional um, aircraft because it costs a lot of money to retrain you on a different aircraft. So the military puts you in one aircraft and you fly that aircraft your entire career. Um, I think the Coast Guard, I think you can switch between fixed wing and helicopter a little bit easier because I need pilots. But um, for the most part, you're going to be in one aircraft, which, you know, there's a disadvantage of that because you you only see one way of doing things. And since I've gotten out of the military, I mean, I'm still in, but off of active duty and flying different types of aircraft, it's definitely made me a better aviator. I mean, I recommend this for any aviator, trying to get in as many different aircraft as you can with as many different people to see how they do things because you're going to get stuck thinking that that technique is the best technique ever when it's, it's not true. It just happens to be how they, how they do it. And I, I've seen the airlines. I love how they do flows. And the, mili- the Army doesn't do flows. They strict, stick to the checklist a lot. And it kind of – I've been able to see both sides of the, the picture. And also um, different aircraft, you begin to understand – this is a mundane example, but like the starter generator, there's limits like 40 seconds on, 60 seconds off. And I thought that was just for our helicopter, but that's just starter generators. And I wouldn't have known that had I not flown a whole bunch of different aircraft. And that tends to always be the limit on a starter generator. It can only be on for 30 seconds and then off for a minute, like just really random things like that, where you just, you start to internalize things that you didn't know before the more aircraft you fly the more you begin to internalize this information so so operationally though the uh, one of the things that is different is the fact that uh, I, I hear this from military pilots a lot so 
is the fact that when they fly or when you fly in the military and the government, everything has to be absolutely perfect, you know, and unless it's obviously, you know, in a battle, whatever. But in the civilian world, things are a little bit different. I mean, it seems like you see more MELs or things that, that are minor things that are broken that aren't getting fixed, that type of thing. And so it's, the mindset has to change a little bit. Uh, in that regard, and also in the regard of the operation. And some people have a, a little more of a difficult time transitioning to the part 121, 135 environment because they haven't been involved in ground delays and all these type of things and had to work the system where people that all they've known their whole life is 121 from the regionals. It's a little easier for them to deal with because, you know, I've flown with guys, it was their first time and flying for the airlines they came from the military and they're like, uh, what's a gate hold? And you're like, Oh, okay. And so I kind of wish they would do that. Uh, especially in the majors, the regionals, they do a good job with this, but the major airlines, they don't really do a course on all that stuff. Like they do so much in the regionals, you know, gate holds, you know, what's holding, you know, holding for release. I don't ever have to do that. You know, what's a ground stop, that type of thing. How do I work myself better into the system? Those, those are the type of things that you don't have quite, uh, you know, the experience with, and also it could get frustrating. Uh, but you have to realize, like you were saying, operations, they're all different. You just, you know, have to realize you are where you are and this is, this is how you're going to do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also remember that the military, uh, man, you get to do things that you would never be able to do in the civilian world. I mean, I've flown like five feet off the treetops and, you know, combat flying and night vision goggle flying. And it's just, it's, you got to get into profiles in the military that you'll never see in the civilian world unless you're busting some yeah, regulation. Say, legally. <laughs> yeah, legally, you, you can't do those in the civilian world. People do. Yeah. They, they do it, and then later on, the FAA calls them and takes their license away. But in the military, you get to do those kind of things, which is kind of cool. Uh, the downside to the military is... Um, uh, one of the things you you are put in harm's way sometimes, uh, like you said, you've been out there and, uh, you know, again, uh, I didn't mention this before. Thanks for your service. We appreciate that. But one of the things that you have to realize is you can get called up to go into a battle and into that situation. And uh, some people I, I know complain about that. And it's like, well, it's it's kind of part of the job, isn't it? It is. And um, that's why it's important, too, to pick pick an airframe that nece- won't necessarily get you into situations like if, you know, you don't have to be all gung-ho about killing people t- to go into the military. There are ways to go in to pick aircraft that are not uh, designed to inflict harm, like don't be a bomber pilot or don't fly the Apache helicopter or fighter jet. Um, you know, cargo transport aircraft, that's a great way to serve. Um you know, the other thing to consider, too, the different services is that the Army is much more in the Marine aviation. It's really it's really out there on the front lines. The Navy, you're on a ship, you're out of harm's way for the most part. Air Force as well, like you usually you're farther back. Those assets are extremely important, so they're going to be protected much farther in the rear. So... Um, yeah, but it's definitely, especially with this operational environment with the war on terror, you're, you're going to get deployed. That's absolutely going to happen. So if you have an issue with that and object to it or just don't want to go, then don't choose the the coast guard. Um, definitely go into the coast guard. Not, not that they don't get shot at, but it's, it's a lot lot more rare than in this situation that, uh, than being in the army or or out in the front lines with the Marines, that type of thing. Um, but you're right. I mean, it really, you have to look at that from that perspective. And, uh, so there's pluses and minuses to all jobs. Uh, just like, you know, we talk about flight instructing and people are like, well, gosh, you know, I want to, that seems too risky to fly. You know, you're worried about having them violate you, et cetera. But there's always risk involved in anything, just walking out the door. So, uh, just, just choose wisely. And just as like anything else, uh, you try to do your best hope for the best, you know, plan for the worst kind of thing. And, uh, and make sure that this is something that you really, really want to do. Look at all different aspects, like, like what we're talking about here. One of the things too, that uh, on the military side of things, that's interesting is, uh, and you've talked about this is choosing the different branches, uh, based on where you might be, you know, on the front lines, a little bit further back, et cetera, but also based on, 
uh, where you might actually live or be located. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons my wife actually chose the Navy. And, uh, you know, my dad was in the Navy. There's there's some really cool bases there. And just like you were talking about with, with the Coast Guard. So what kind of considerations would be there as far as the location, as far as uh, the different branches uh, and examples maybe you could give us as far as choosing them? Yeah, this is this is something I didn't understand when I was um, <laughs> in my late teens. I mean, there's some things you you need to consider when you're choosing the different branches. Where you know, the, the, where do you want to live? And you might not be able to answer this necessarily when you're you're that young, but definitely consider it because the army, the bases, you know, land in the south was cheap when they bought these army bases. So you're primarily living in places like Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee. So you're kind of restricted to inland in some fairly remote places. I mean, there is a base up by Tacoma, but you know, that's one base that's very hard to get. So where do you want to live? Do you want to live on the coast? I mean, then choose the Navy or the Coast Guard. If you want to live all over the country, I mean, the Air Force has bases all over the place. And you know, where you get stationed really will depend on what aircraft you have. So it's kind of a little bit not up to you, but see, so really when you choose the service, you have to think in general terms, do I want to live on the coast or am I okay living in the South? If you're from the South then no big deal. But if you're from New York, maybe, maybe you don't want to, I don't, it's definitely a, a, an adjustment. Um, some other things are like, you know, what kind of personality do you have? Because each service has its own personality. Like the air force is very laid back. It's very technical focused. So a lot of the enlisted soldiers are, I mean, they're, they're very smart. Um, it's not, if you want to go special forces, just don't go in the air force. I always kind of laugh when it just, it's, they don't go hand in hand. The air force is not for, in my opinion, they don't produce leaders because that's not really how they're set up. I've seen air force. I won't get into it, but anyway, it's not, they're there to fly and they're very technical, you know, Marines it, great. If you're super gung ho, like, if you just love to work out CrossFit seven days a week and can maintain that kind of attitude, definitely Marines. Marines are super high quality soldiers. I've always been really impressed with the Marines. Um, the Navy is, is a little bit more laid back compared to the army too. The army is kind of in the middle. I mean, you can go as hardcore as you want or not, but you definitely need to think about who, who are the people that I want to work with? Mm -hmm. Um, Consider, you know, do you want a family eventually? The Air Force, they have very short deployments, like three months. The Army is typically, they used to do a year, but now they're down to nine months. The Navy, you're on a ship for six months. So you got to consider that for the future, like 10 down, years down the road when you're in your 30s and, you, you know, you find a spouse and, and get married and have kids. Like, how, how long do you want to be away from them? And also the type of flying you want to do. I mean, the Air Force bombers, they're up at, 30,000 feet versus helicopters when you're really down in it, getting shot at. I mean, you're just, you're in it. Um, the Marines, it's kind of the best of both worlds, but and also consider how long do you want to be in? Because the army has a seven year commitment after you finish flight school, but the air force, I believe, and I'm not sure about the Navy, but it's probably about 10 years as well. So, which, you know, it's not bad. I mean, you're making great money and you can transition to a civilian job really easily after those 10 years, but that's something to think about. And then what kind of living conditions do you want to live in when you actually are deployed? The Air Force takes care of their people really well. There's always this joke about how the Air Force, if they're, if they're told to build an airfield, they'll build all of the, the barracks and like dining facility first. And then when they run out of the money, they'll be like, hey, we haven't built the runway yet, you know, because that's their focus. It's people. <laughs> it's, but the Army would build the runway first and run out of money and then throw people into tents. <laughs> So just understand in the army, it's very austere living conditions, but you're not going to get that in the air force. And if they do, people complain about it and they, they fix it. So the air force is really good about taking care of people. Um, I, I and always, the Navy, you're living on a boat. So, you know, I was, was going to say, I always joke that the air force is, uh, it's a flying club next to a golf course. And, uh, it, it is. Boy, they, <laughs> they have some amazing facilities. That's for sure. You know, having, you know, a, my father-in-law is in the Air Force, you know, career and just uh, incredible places they, they've gone. But uh, uh, anyway, as far as what you said about living, too, uh, we focused on you talked about the U.S., but remember, you can be deployed overseas. And uh, a good example is some people actually grow up. 
in other countries, even though they're serving in the U.S. military. And that's uh, more prevalent, it seems, uh, with the Navy and the Air Force, especially with the Air Force. Uh, but those deployments, you can move around like every three or four years, I think it is, right? Uh, yeah. When you go overseas, like uh, Germany and I think Japan and all these different places, yeah, your your typical tours are usually three years. The Army was trying to make them a little bit longer to kind of cut down on the movement of people because it's hard on families, you know, especially kids to move the kids in the middle of high school. So, yeah. And but you know the the bonus to that is you might be in a country you learn the language. I mean that's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. You know my wife was what they call an Air Force brat and she was able to learn Italian because they most of their deployments were in Italy. So there yeah. are some some bonuses to that. But I think those are great. Like you said, if you want to be on a ship, you know the Air Force is probably not the way to go. It'd probably be the Navy. There's some obvious things here, but uh, sometimes we don't think about the obvious and the coast and living on the coast and the Coast Guard. Uh, you know, put those things together. And and I think an important thing to do too, Sarah, is just envision yourself doing that job. Like Close your eyes and think about it. Put yourself in that scenario, and, and what's your, your ultimate scenario? What's the best thing that would be for you? And say, what is your dream job? And then kind of build around that. I think that's really, really important. Um, but anyway, uh, we went over a bunch of different things as far as different uh, uh, things you should think about going into the military or whether you should become a military pilot. Uh, is Was that it for our list? Because we got a couple things. I know we're coming up on the end of the show here. But uh, were there any other ones we wanted to add to this, Sarah? No, I just want to give one more option to people um, is probably it's hard when you join active duty to guarantee that you're going to get aviation. But one way to really actually almost guarantee yourself is to go through the reserves or the National Guard um, to because they when they sign you on, they sign you on for a very specific um, job. So do don't don't disregard the National Guard because it really is the best of the both worlds. You can you can do a civilian job and military flying at the same time. I think that's about it, though. So with all that said, I know uh, there's a lot here. And to help, I think, uh, Sarah, you said you might have something that possibly people can uh, maybe download as far as considerations. Yeah, so I'm going to put together a PDF for you guys, and you can download it. on. Uh, they'll be in the show notes here. Just I, I threw together a bunch of stuff that I kind of wish I knew when I was – you know, trying to consider the different services. So I hope, I hope it helps you guys kind of make a good decision. It'll cover everything that we've talked about it. And then I'll, I'll try and go a little bit more in depth on certain, certain things that we didn't necessarily get to. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, because there's much in making that decision. And obviously, yeah. you know, it's good to talk to your family and your friends, bring everybody into that conversation. Uh, you know, obviously having having somebody like a counselor at school, a, a career coach or whatever really helps uh, to run those ideas against somebody who's actually been through it, just like Sarah here. And obviously, if you have a question, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast, we will send those to Sarah. If you do have a question about anything we talked about, any comments, that'd be awesome. But, you know, Sarah is actually involved in many more things uh, than just, you know, flying for the government, flying for the military. Uh, you have some pretty cool websites that you put together. And then uh, one of them is uh, Think Aviation. The other one's, uh, I think, a course on Notums Made Easy. So tell us a little bit about that before we close up about Think Aviation and the course that you designed. Yeah. So I write a lot of articles. I, I'm trying to bridge that gap between book learning and what, how, you know, how pilots actually do it. So my articles are very focused on, on how does this work in the real world? So, um, yeah, I got a lot of articles out there. I mean, just try how to pick up VFR flight following. You'll see it on Google. Um, that kind of, that kind of thing. I've also written a couple articles on, on NOTAMs and I'm currently working on a class, um, to kind of answer that question, does this NOTAM apply to me? That's the big question. I mean, it, first of all, it's hard to get through NOTAMs, to decode them, to read them. And then you're like, once you do that, you're like, well, does this affect my flight? So I'm working on a course right now to try and answer that question to really help people out. So it's not out right now, but you can go to NOTAMsMadeEasy.com and just uh, download um, a, a little PDF for you guys, which should help you sort through NOTAMs quickly. And um, once you download that PDF, I'll just keep you updated on how the course is going. But definitely check out thinkaviation.net and um, get some answers, the real practical answers to your aviation questions. 
Awesome. We'll have you check that out. And, uh, you know, Think Aviation is the other thing as far as articles are concerned. Check that out. There's some great stuff in there. Uh, And one of the things that I think people uh, don't realize is that, you know, we get all these, you're doing all these different things. And uh, one of the great things about being in aviation, you have have a lot of time off to do those things, Uh, whether it's in the, you know, military, civilian uh, world. And that's one of the things that's really, really appealing is is that lifestyle. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we love it, you know, absolutely love doing this. By the way, if you're looking at, if you're on your device right now listening to this, you can actually click on the show notes and click on some of the links we talked about. And Sarah came up with this really great video. It's from the Army about the warrant officer flight school and, uh, you know, the flight school training. And it describes all that. And it's, I thought that was a great video, uh, Sarah. So I really highly recommend you checking that video out too. So we're going to have more and more resources in the show notes. So don't forget to check those out and, and see what's out there. And we'll have links to the courses and courseware and everything. But uh, Sarah, in in general, this has been great speaking with you. But do you have any last advice before we go as far as somebody that's actually, you know, in general thinking about becoming a military pilot? Ooh, well, you just you just got to work hard. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, I'm a I'm a huge person. I'm a huge fan of personal development. So any anything that is lacking in your life, uh, just know that you can read a book or a blog article or something and, and you can change that. I mean, you can have a morning routine and, and get up and exercise and really focus on your future. And I think no matter what happened in your past, you can affect your future. And if you really want to do this, the airlines or the military, you got to be very focused and, um, you just, just do it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's some good advice. I mean, it really is important just in anything in life just to, to focus on, on what it is you want to do and then just, just do it and go for it and and take that, that step today to do that. You know, Sarah, it's been awesome having you on. Hopefully we'll we'll have you back on. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions. I, I'd appreciate you coming back and maybe even answering some of these questions. Yeah, definitely. Email me, thinkaviation at gmail.com. I, I will help walk you through if you're thinking about going in the military. I know they're just the recruiter's not going to give you the information you need. So you can go ahead and email me anytime and I'll, I'll walk you through it. Well, awesome. Again, uh, appreciate you being here, Sarah. And, and uh, I know you're going to have some fun out there flying. And uh, we appreciate you that are listening right now. And, you know, as Sarah said, do something, you know, make sure that you, you, you Put your mind to it. Work hard. Work hard at it. And if you're thinking about aviation, getting into aviation, getting into military aviation, whether it's a mechanic or as a pilot or anything else, if you maybe want to go into electronics, most importantly, like I always say, do something today to move forward in your career. Take a step. Click on some of those links we talked about in the show notes. But make sure you, you do something now and do it today because that's the only way you're going to move forward in your career. It's not just sitting there. You actually have to take action. Well, folks, we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.